Hello, Parkview. How we doing? We good? Good, good. Good to see everybody. Clap your hands. Warm up if you need to. Oh, man. I'm glad. I'm glad that you've made the choice to be here uh, this weekend on a chilly uh, weekend together on all, cam- all different campuses all across this uh, Chicagoland area. And also those of you who are watching online at your house, on your computer, your tablet, whatever, we're, we're glad you made the choice uh, to be here, and, and we do, I think you're probably, most of you aware of this, but we do have 19 Christmas Eve services starting uh, this uh, Wednesday, just a few days from now, and it's going to be uh, an incredible ex- experience here across all these different campuses, and one of the really, really super cool things that we've been kind of working towards for a long time around here at Parkview is the new Linux campus that's opening up uh, this this coming week. But also, here, check this out, Homer Glenn folks and Orland folks. Um, right now, this weekend, before Christmas Eve, New Linux is having just kind of a soft launch with some volunteers and people there. They're getting all the coffee, just like everybody would come. They're getting all the children's area ready, the youth things ready. And uh, the, the, the teaching time that we're experiencing right now is being... It's being piped into, it's being sent over to New Linux to those folks who are serving there. So I would love for Homer and for Orland to give just a huge amount of love and applause to the New Linux campus. Yeah! We love you guys. Uh, we're so thankful for you and everything that God God's going to do in you. Uh, this weekend is, is they're launching Richie, who's our campus pastor out there. It's his birthday this weekend, so we're kind of getting things going on his birthday. He's spending his birthday launching a campus. I mean, these are incredible, just great, good people that God is using, and so I'm glad that we can all uh, be a part of that. Glad you're here. Uh, we're starting, not starting, we're continuing uh, this series called Unwrapped. So if you've been around here the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of unwrapped. And the key verse uh, for this series is in Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. And it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been around here for the last couple weeks, you know that Tim has talked about joy and he's talked about peace the last couple weeks. Of weeks, And I would just say to you that, that if you uh, have missed either one of those messages for any reason uh, and, and you feel like already this week of Christmas you're, you're lacking some joy or you're already feeling not at peace, I mean, no one has even arrived yet and you still don't have peace, right? And, and, and so you're thinking, man, I'm losing some of that. I would just encourage you to get a cup of coffee or something this week, get up a half an hour, hour early and watch these messages because they'll just give you some good balance heading into this week of Christmas. Now today, as we study, we're going to continue on and we're going to unwrap hope. Everybody say hope. Hope is the thing we talk about this time of year a lot of times when we realize that that God sent us hope in the form of a soft-skinned baby named Jesus. And what we usually do around here during the Christmas season is we usually uh, grab a Bible and, and we, we talk about what Jesus did at Christmas through the vantage point or from the perspective of Matthew or Luke, these two different people who wrote these books in the Bible. And, and Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story. They talk, you know, about uh, the shepherds, the wise men, 
Mary and Joseph, the innkeeper, Herod, all that stuff. And I tell you what, I, I love Matthew and Luke and their perspective on what Christmas is and what Jesus did. But here's what I want us to do just a little bit different today as we head into this week of Christmas. I want us to look at what Jesus did from the perspective of heaven, not from the perspective of earth. Let's unwrap hope from heaven's perspective. What did that first Christmas really look like? If you have a Bible today, I want to ask you to find Philippians chapter 2. If you have a smartphone or a tablet or however you find scripture uh, these days, Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's all right. I'm going to read from mine. This is where we're going to be in our study all day uh, today. Philippians chapter 2, hope from heaven's perspective. Verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now let's pause there before we go on into verse 9. We're going to go back in just those few verses we read. We're going to unwrap what... Christmas and hope looks like from heaven's perspective. But let's also just ask, let's pray together and let's ask God to just give us new insight into the Christmas season. Can we do that together? Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for today. Thanks for drawing us all here, wherever we may be, listening and watching, studying your word together. And God, I, I just pray, we've heard, so many of us have heard the Christmas story, God, so many different times. And, and maybe we've heard this section of scripture from Philippians chapter 2 a lot of times. And so God, I just pray today that you would somehow, that you would let us block out all the other distractions, the things we need to do later today, the things we need to do later this week, and, and you would just give us a great sense of your power and your presence, God, that you would surprise us today with new insights from your word and what you've done at Christmas on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's do this. Let's just go back. If you want to take some notes or have your Bible and go through this slowly, let's go back and take a look at these things. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, that we just read through. says, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The thing that is amazing to me when you look at what Jesus did is that he held everything that God did in his hand. It says, but, but he... The thing that blows me away is that he didn't grab that too tightly. Jesus was willing to let go of his grasp on heaven in order to come down here to us on this earth. And I can promise you this, Parkview, I've been thinking a lot about this. I promise you this earth that Jesus came down to, I just have to believe this earth was not like Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. Okay, I, I don't think Jesus was sitting around in heaven on a regular basis, you know, gathering up the angels, you know, at that Starbucks on the corner of Pearl Street and Gold. I don't think he was gathering them all around saying, hey, hey, come, come here, come here, let me tell you something. Y'all want to know my dream? I'm going to tell you about my dream. Here, here's my dream. If one day, it just, I don't even know when it'll be, but if one day I could be born down there in like a cold stable, I mean, how cool would that be? 
That would be so awesome, wouldn't it? If I could hang around some stinky fishermen, I I love stinky fishermen. If I could just hang around some stinky fishermen, that would be so cool. Or you know what I would love to do? I would just love to fast. I would love to have like 40 days where I just didn't eat anything. I would love to just be starving. Wouldn't that be cool? I would love to starve. That would be so much fun. Or I would love to be mocked. I mean, being mocked is so cool. Being misunderstood, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. I would love that. No, listen, listen. This earth, I promise you, was not Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. But you know what I think? And I believe this with all my heart. You'll never convince me otherwise. I believe that Jesus, because he was God, was able to look 2,000 years into the future. And you know what he saw? He saw you. He saw you, and, and I know when you're sitting around a whole big group of people, you know, in a room, when I say you, you think I'm talking about the you right next to you. No, I mean you. Like you, not the you next to you, you. Jesus, kind of let this sink into your mind. Christmas from heaven's perspective, Jesus didn't just look down and see this globe of people. He didn't just look down and see this nation or this city or even this church. He saw you. He saw you, and so he did the only thing he could do. He let go of his grip on heaven to come down here and try and grab a hold of you. This is what hope looks like. This is a picture of hope from heaven's perspective. Jesus letting go of heaven and coming here to try and grab a hold of you. And for some of you, you may need to like strap in to your seat today as you gather up this weekend. You, you may need to put on the seatbelt as, as you maybe begin to realize for the first time or maybe you're reminded by the power of God's Holy Spirit today that, that God is deeply, madly, passionately, unconditionally in love with you. That's why he sent hope. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you will do. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Somebody say amen. Isn't that good news? It doesn't matter if you've been around Parkview or been going to church for the last five years of your life or 10 years or, hey, the last 25 years I've been in church all the time. That's fantastic. That's great. But it doesn't matter if you've been doing that or if today is your very first time back in church for years. God loves you. You. Not not just your row, you. I mean, he probably loves the whole row of people, but he loves you. I love the way Max Lucado says this. He, he's an author. If you've ever read any of Max Lucado's stuff, he just has a way with words. He says, God's love never ceases. Though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him, he, he will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love. Our goodness cannot increase his love. Our faith does not earn it, I love this, any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God doesn't love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. Man, I'm praying that in some way today, as we head into this busy week of Christmas, 
you would just realize that God is head over heels in love with you. With you. Not everybody around you, but you. Not just everybody in your house, but you. And I know as I say that, some of you are kind of thinking, well, Todd, you know, I get that, and you know, it's great, and, you know, heaven's perspective and hope. And I know God's love. I hear about God's love all the time, and God probably is love, and God loves a lot of people, but I, I don't know. And, and here's what you're starting to do. Some of you, because do you ever argue with the preacher in your head? You ever do that? You ever have that argument? You're going to win that all the time, okay? But it's just, it's, you're arguing with me, going, well, Todd, I get that, but he, he's love, but I mean, I don't know about me. And, and here's what you're thinking. Some of you, not, not everyone, but some of you are thinking, Todd, that's great, and, and God is love, and, and he's infatuated with me, and he sent hope for me. But here, here's what some of you are thinking. But Todd, if you knew what I'm, if you, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I've done, if, Todd, listen, if you knew, as you're standing on stage, preacher guy, if you knew what I, if I'm doing right now in my life, and how out of bounds some of these things are, you wouldn't be so quickly to say God's love, and God wouldn't be so quickly dispensing his love to me if you knew how I was living. And maybe that, that's what you maybe that's what you think. Maybe that's what you feel. Todd, you don't know what I've done. And, and if you feel that way right now, I just want to say to you, do you know what? You're right. I don't know. I don't know everything that you've done, everywhere you've been, everything you've said in your life, or even the things you're involved in right now. But here's what I do know, and this is very important. Nothing that you have ever done is bigger than the birth of Jesus. I guarantee you that. Nothing you've ever done is bigger than the birth of Jesus because that's where God gives us hope. That's where he gives us hope in our lives. And God says, I'm, I'm sending hope to you, and I'm sending hope to you, and I'm sending hope to you, and I'm sending hope to you. And I promise God is not sitting up in heaven going, I can send hope to you and you and you, but you? Whoa. <laughs> Hello. I don't know. I did, Seriously? Is that what you're up to? I mean, I don't know about hope for you. Well, anyway, no. That's, I guarantee you that's not what's happening from heaven's perspective at Christmas. You know, but we like to think that way sometimes. Have you, ever, have you ever had this comment made about someone or maybe you've made this? You know, oh man, this, I just think he's probably beyond hope. I, th I think what she's going through, I don't know, I hate to say this, but I think she's probably beyond hope. Or have you yourself ever felt Hope, less, man, I'm just, uh, I'm just hopeless. Listen, listen. No person is beyond hope, and you are not hopeless. Jesus let go of his grip on heaven so he could come here to try and grab a hold of you. And he didn't stop there. As you continue on in Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. This is that part of the Christmas story, right, where God becomes man. He becomes this human being. He becomes this little baby. Just like us, and not only like that, he becomes a servant. And, and I don't know if you've ever really thought about this or kind of just marinated on this verse in your mind at all, but how did, how did God do that? Do you ever think about that? Does it kind of just blow your mind? How did God, creator God, become like, like human? How did he get all of his divinity into a person, into humanity? And maybe you've thought about that before. I've spent a whole lot of my life studying that, uh, thinking about that. 
And if you've ever wrestled with that at Parkview, guess what? This is your lucky weekend because I'm going to tell you. You want to know how God did what he did? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this, is, this is your lucky weekend because I'm going to tell you how God did what he did. Are you ready for this? You want to know how God did it? Are you ready? I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I wish I did. I have no idea how God did what he did when he became a man, when he became a human being, when he became a servant. I have no idea how God did what he did. But I do know why he did what he did. I don't know how, but I have certainty as to why he did what he did. And I want to do my best for the next few minutes to bring some of that certainty to you as well, because I know this week we're getting ready to go into, you're going to have some friends, some family members around for Christmas or for New Year's, and maybe you'll be thinking about Christmas, and you know maybe your friend or family member will talk some about God or talk about his son Jesus, and they kind of understand it, but they kind of don't, and why would God do that? I don't even understand why or how God did that, and you're going to be able to give some certainties to some of those people in your family. I want to help you have that certainty for them or even for yourself as you move into this week. And to do that, let me tell you this story about a king. This king lived uh, several hundred years ago during medieval times, medieval days. He had this huge castle, okay, and his castle uh, looked over just thousands of acres uh, that, that was his kingdom. Thousands of people worked for this king, and, and he was a good king, really good king. And this king kind of had this rhythm that each night after dinner, He'd go up onto the roof of his castle, and he'd just kind of look out over his kingdom and all the people. And so one night, he's up on the roof of his castle after dinner. He's looking out into the fields, and he sees coming up near the castle, maybe two, three hundred yards from the castle, he sees this peasant woman walking up to her little mud hut. She's wearing filthy rags. She's, uh, she's been working in the fields all day. She's, she's dirty, but yet somehow she kind of maybe looks like she's singing and kind of has a bounce in her step, and she's smiling, and, and the king just kind of becomes infatuated with her. A few more days go by, and, and he gets up there, and he watches her uh, coming in and that sort of thing, and the king starts thinking to himself, you know what, this, this is crazy, but, but I think I love her. I love her. I'm falling for this peasant woman. And so the next night, he gets done with dinner. He goes on to the top of his uh, castle on the roof, and he brings some of his advisors up there, and he says, hey, guys, listen, you got to help me with this. This is crazy. You see this woman walking up here right now, that peasant woman, the one wearing rags? I, this, I know this, you're not even going to believe this, but I, I think I'm in love with her. I have fallen for her. What, what do I do? i, I got to figure out how to make her my queen. And one of the advisors pipes up and says, here's what you do. You want her to be your queen? Just declare it. Just command it. You're the king. You have all the power in all the kingdom. Just declare that she's your queen. And, and do your ring thing, make a stamp, bring her into the castle, and she will be your queen. And the king says, you know what? I could do that. I could totally do that because I have all the power in all the kingdom. I could just make her my queen. But then he starts to think, you know what? If I did that, how would I ever really know if, if she really loved me or she just loved me because I declared it and made her love me as my queen? Now, that won't work. A few more days go by, and he's fallen for this girl. He brings the advisors back up on top, and, and, and he says, man, what do I do? You guys, you got to help me. This is getting crazy. I've got to be with her. What do I do? And one of the advisors says, here's what you do. I, I got it. Here's, here's what you do. Girls love stuff. So just buy her stuff. 
Just get her all kinds of stuff, put new clothes on her, get her a great place to live, give her all kinds of food, give her all kinds of services, just shower her with blessings. She's going to love that. And the king thinks to himself, you know what, I could totally do that. I own everything. I have everything at my disposal. I could just bless her beyond measure. But then the king starts to think, yeah, but here's the problem with that, guys. If I do that, how do I know if she really loves me or she just loves all the blessings and the stuff that I'm giving to her? That's not going to work. A few more days go by, and the king, the king knows what he needs to do. So one morning, just as the sun is coming up in his kingdom, the king goes to the back kind of door, the back entrance of the castle, where all the peasants, where all the, you know, Servants are coming in to work in the castle all day long. He goes to that back kind of private entrance and he takes off his kingly robe, lays it down on the ground, takes off his crown and lays it down, takes his scepter and lays it down on the ground. He grabs some of these servants' clothes, some of these rags that all these peasants are wearing. He puts those on and then he walks out into the field to be with the one he loved. You see, here's what happened. The king became just as ragged as the one he loved. It was the only way, right? It was the only way to be with her. Pretty romantic, pretty romantic story, right? I know some of the ladies right now are going, yes, I love that. Tell us more about the king. Tell us, do they have kids or what happens? I need to know what, 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 what happens. It's, it's, it's a pretty romantic story. But, but let me ask you this. Does it sound at all familiar? Does, does this story sound familiar? It should sound familiar. Take a look at this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, rags, and lying in a manger. Do you see, Parkview, how our king became just as ragged as the ones he loved? It was the only way. Jesus had to let go of his grip on heaven and come here to be a human being, taking on the very nature of a servant so that he could grab a hold of us. And if the story ended there, the story of Christmas, it would be just an amazing story. But as you look at the story of Christmas and what Jesus did on this earth and why he was born onto this earth from heaven's perspective, the story continues on. Take a look at Philippians Chapter 2, verse 8. We've already read this, but it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This, this baby that was born, this Jesus that came to give us hope, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Jesus came here uh, to, to this earth, you know this already, but, but he, he didn't come here to die of old age. Jesus wasn't born on this earth so he could die of some disease or, you know, anything like that. Jesus came to die in a way that no one wants to die. He had an appointment with the cross. 
And, and what happens, I just want to be sure that we catch this, as we get into this Christmas season and we begin to unwrap the birth of Jesus, when we unwrap the crib of Jesus, you also have to consider the cross of Jesus. Jesus came to be born unto us, but he also came to give his life for us. Amen? I mean, you just can't separate the crib and the cross. They're all part of what Jesus did. In fact, in, in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our hope that he brings. Several years ago, I, uh, I decided to take my daughter Ruby. She was in first, second third grade, early elementary, I decided to take her to a passion play. This, this is what she looked like. She was just a little, little girl. She's a little rascal, a little stinker. She is kind of still a stinker. She's in college now, but she's kind of a stinker. Um, but, but she was, you know, like early elementary age, kindergarten, first grade, something like that. And I decided to take her, we were living in Los Angeles area, and I started, decided to take her to a passion play. And I don't know if you know what a passion play is, but it, it's a kind of a depiction of the last week in the life of Jesus. And a lot of times the churches are performing art centers and it's, you know, with animals and actors and music and everything. It's powerful. And so we go to this church who has this incredible passion play. And uh, we're all the way in the very back. Ruby is standing on a chair in the very back row and I'm standing right behind her and I have my arms on her shoulders the whole time. We're standing in the very back of this place and she's just soaking the whole thing up. Jesus with his disciples and all the stuff they're doing in this last part of his life. Jesus comes into town on a donkey, and, a, and Jesus actually rides in on a donkey into the auditorium. It was amazing. She's like, her eyes are huge. And, and then it goes all the way to when Jesus, you know, the soldiers capture Jesus, and they start beating on him, and, and she's watching this. And then, you know, how a passion play goes. They take him to the cross, and they lay him down. It looks like in this person on stage, they're nailing stuff into this person's hand. And then they put Jesus up on a cross. And just as the music hits a crescendo, they, bam, put him down into the ground. And, and, and Ruby watches this whole thing and how he dies and comes back to life through the cross and, and all of that. And, and, and she just kind of un, unmoves. She just, she's not shaking at all. And we get done, and we're walking out to the car. And I'm like, Ruby, what did you think about all that? That was kind of scary for me. And she's just like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I got it. That's what happens with Jesus and the cross and getting to heaven and all that sort of thing. So, and everything was fine. Several weeks go by, and I kind of forget about it. I think she's good. Two weeks go by, and my wife, Renee, is driving down the freeway in Los Angeles with Ruby in her little, you know, back car seat in the car. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, Ruby just starts screaming out, I don't want to die! I don't want to die! Which is, is actually something a lot of times people scream out when they're on the freeways in Los Angeles, but I think that's not, I don't think she even knew about that. I think that was totally beyond her, but that she starts, she's, she's, she's right, she's, she's screaming out, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, and she wouldn't stop, and so my wife Renee literally had to pull the car over to the side of the freeway, because she's just screaming out hysterically, and look back and say, Ruby, what is going on? I don't want to die, I don't want to die, and, and Renee, in a point of wisdom, says, Ruby, when we die, we get to go be in heaven with God and Jesus. And Ruby says, I know, but how long will I have to be up there? 
And Renee says, oh, Ruby, we're going to be in heaven forever. We're going to be with God forever. And Ruby says, no, 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 no. Not how long will I have to be in heaven. How long do I have to be on the cross? You see, she was going back to two weeks earlier from the Passion Play. And we'd always told the kids that the way you and I get to heaven is through the cross of Jesus. And she thought for this whole two weeks that the way I'm going to have to get to heaven is through that cross. And Renee said, oh, Ruby, oh, Ruby, you don't have to go to the cross in order to get to heaven. Jesus went to the cross, so you don't have to. And I'm just here to tell you today. I'm just here to remind you. As we enter into this Christmas season, uh, part of you, I just want to proclaim to you with all the power the Holy Spirit gives me, I want to say to you, listen, you do not have to go to the cross in order to get to heaven. Jesus has already done that for you. Amen? That's why he's our hope. That's why he's our hope, that he did that. He, he was born, but he also went to the cross for us. And Philippians from there, again, if that was it, that would be awesome. But Philippians continues on from there. Take a look at verse 9. It says, therefore, and whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you have to ask what therefore is therefore, right? Well, what is that therefore? And in this case, what therefore is therefore is it's pointing backwards to what we've just read, what we've just studied. Because Jesus let go of his grasp on heaven, because he became a servant, because he became a human being, because he came to earth, because he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore, because of all that stuff we've already studied, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Amen? Parkview, may, may we, may we receive hope this Christmas season as we see what Jesus did from heaven's perspective. That he held everything God did in his hands, but he didn't grab it too tightly. He was willing to let go of his grip on heaven to come here and try and grab a hold of you. And every one of us today, every one of us is in one of two places when it comes to this picture of hope. Some of you need to grab a hold of Jesus. He's reaching out to you. You know this. You've been around church for a few months or years, and you know you need to reach out and grab Jesus. You need to be baptized into him and make him your savior and your king. This week, you need to grab a hold of that hope. Some of you need to do that. Others of you have already grabbed a hold of Jesus, and you need to help others get to the place where they can grab a hold of Jesus. One of the Next steps in your program today is just some lines that say, who will I invite to the Christmas Eve services? Who will I bring so that maybe they could learn about Jesus and the hope that he offers? Who are you going to help connect to Jesus this season? That's what I want you to think and pray about or grabbing a hold of him yourself. Let's, let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thank you so much, God, for this season, and thank you for your, your word. Thank you for the Bible, and, and even today that, that we, can, uh, we can take a look at what Christmas looks like and, 
from just a little bit different angle, maybe from a little bit different perspective and what it looked like for you and your son when he decided, when, when you decided that it was time for him to come. God, we're so thankful that he did. We're so thankful that you sent him. God, help us to not soon forget that picture of him letting go of heaven so that he could grab a hold of us. We love you, and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus, who is our hope, that we pray. And everyone says, amen.